Have you ever heard this phrase? Uh, to err is human, but to forgive is divine. Did anyone ever hear this? No? Is, it just, is that an old man saying? Is that an old people saying? Is that a Gen X saying? To err is human, but to forgive is divine. And it's so true. It really is. Because forgiveness mirrors you know, the divinity and the purpose of Jesus Christ. If you never heard that, right? That's what Jesus Christ was all about. Christ died to forgive who? His enemies of all of their sins. And because of that radical forgiveness, we can sit here today in church completely forgiven. We can sit here in church saved, knowing that we're going to heaven. And so logic would tell us that if there is any characteristic that a Christian or a Christ follower should have and should mirror within their lives, it's what? Not just forgiveness, but radical forgiveness. And it's true. That that worldly motto says so, doesn't it? That worldly saying, right? To err is human, to forgive is divine. Which means they expect those who are Christians to live a life of radical forgiveness. You know, today we're going to take a look at the second request in the Lord's Prayer for us. And it's about forgiveness, and it's about forgiving other people. Now, I've already really talked about this topic extensively in previous messages. If you go back, the, the message is about mercy, the message is about reconciliation. We've talked about this topic extensively, so what I'm going to do today is I'm simply going to talk about what this verse says, and nothing else, okay? And so, um, what is it saying, and why does Jesus want us to pray this? And that's all we're going to talk about. So, what is this verse all about And really simply, this verse is a request asking God to forgive us of all of our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Very simple, right? There's no like, you don't need to be a rocket scientist to understand this one. God, forgive us as we forgive those who sin against us. It's that simple. Now, there are two things that I want to say about this. Number one, what it's actually saying. And number two, what it's not saying. But I want to begin with what it's not saying. Okay, and this is what it's not saying here. Jesus is not referring to the forgiveness that you receive when you first put your faith in Jesus Christ. Okay, when you first put your faith in Jesus Christ, let's call that salvific or salvation forgiveness. That's not what he's talking about here. Okay, Uh, when we first put our faith in Jesus Christ for salvation, we are declared perfectly forgiven. And because of the blood that was shed upon the cross and because of the righteousness of Christ, we are given his perfect righteousness. So we are declared perfectly forgiven, perfectly righteous. We already talked about all this. You guys remember these sermons? Okay, go back and you can listen to them. But that's what we're talking about. So legally, in a very legal sense, and these are very, these are legal terminology here, God declares us perfectly forgiven. God declares us perfectly righteous because of the righteousness of Christ that he gave us. And so that's what gets us into heaven. So on a very legal sense, which is what the final judgment is going to be like, we are legally declared perfect when we put our faith in Jesus Christ for salvation. Morally, however, legally we're perfect. Morally, however, we're still just as sinful as the second before we put our faith in Jesus Christ. You know, morally here on earth, we're still exactly the same. Nothing's changed. We still have evil thoughts. We practice dishonesty. You know, we're still just as selfish. We're still just as prideful. We still go to those RSL buffets, not wanting to eat reasonably, but wanting to just rob that place of all the food that they have and be over gluttonous, which is a sin. You know, that's what we do. We still sin as human 
beings. And so every single time we sin here morally, our relationship with God actually gets severed. Okay, And God does that on purpose. We don't lose our salvation when we sin, but what God decides to do is he withholds his blessings. He withholds his presence. He withholds his forgiveness upon us on a daily basis. And the reason why is because he wants us to daily seek him. Right? He, he wants us to live a life of daily dependence. That's what we talked about last week with the daily bread. And not only that, but we're learning through this verse, the reason why we are to pray this is because he wants us to come to him daily knowing that we need his forgiveness. We need to be close to him. We want to be, we want our relationship to be vibrant with Jesus. And we don't want sin to get in the way. So that's why he wants us to come and pray this prayer. Do you guys understand that? That's ultimately why. So it's not salvation forgiveness that Jesus Christ is talking about here, but it's the daily forgiveness that we need from God so that our hearts can be his. And so that our lives can live for his name, his kingdom, and his will. Do we get that? Is that cool? All right. So now let's look at what this verse is actually saying. It's talking about forgiveness, but maybe not in the way that you traditionally understand forgiveness in 2020. How do we know that? Simple. Did you ever ask your teachers, why does the text say, forgive us of our debts as we forgive our debtors? Did you ever ask your teacher that? Did you ever ask that yourself? Or did you just kind of just keep that to yourself and like, uh, uh, I think it means sin, but I don't know why. All right, that's what I did. But it's very interesting. So, and so let me just share with you something that's absolutely amazing about Jewish culture and what's actually on God's heart. And the reason why, they, we don't, he, in a lot of translations, they don't use the word sin, but they use the word debt. Okay? Back in Jesus' day, this concept of sin was very much understood as a debt that you incur upon another when you sin against them. Okay, so here's, here's the concept. So if you sin against me, not only did you do something bad to me, but now you owe me a debt because you hurt me in some way. And that's the Jewish concept of sin. Sin is not just hurting somebody, but you're relationally responsible now, and you actually owe someone relationally a debt. Isn't that interesting? We don't think like that in the Western culture, but in Jewish culture, but more importantly, in God's eyes, whenever someone sins against another, this person has now incurred a debt to this person, to, you know, person B. Person A has incurred a debt to person B. And the only way that that debt can be canceled, you can't pay back a debt of sin. It can only be paid back through forgiveness. This person, person B, must release person A of their debt. That's the only way sin can be eradicated. Isn't that amazing? Doesn't that kind of shed a little bit of light on the gospel itself? Right? If the only way sin can be, get, it can be get gotten rid of is if the person who has been sinned against releases this person of the debt that they owe, that's huge, isn't it? So when you think about the gospel, isn't that amazing? We were, the Bible says, enemies of God. We rebelled against him. We hated him, right? We sinned massively against God. And if we understood that, if we understand that, then we owe God the greatest of debts. But instead of punishment, what did God do? God decided to release us from our debt. How did he decide to release us from our debt? Complete, comprehensive, amazing Radical forgiveness. 
He sent his son Jesus to pay the penalty, to pay the debt that we incurred, that we owed him on the cross. Do you guys see that? Do you guys understand that? Does it make sense now, this word debt? You know, he sent his son Jesus Christ to pay that penalty, and Christ forgave us by dying on the cross and resurrecting on the third day. What God did was absolutely huge. If you think about it, God's God, right? He could have said, I forgive you. That's all he needed to do. But instead of just saying, I forgive you, what did he do? He said, you want to know something? I want to show these people how much I love them. Therefore, I'm going to send my son to sacrifice himself upon the cross so they could know for sure that they are released from their debt. So they can know for sure how much I, as God, love them. So that we could know how desperately God wants us to have a relationship with him. That's why he sent his son Jesus to die for us upon the cross. That's absolutely radical, isn't it? That's radical love. That's radical grace. That's radical forgiveness. And so when you think about that, and this is something that we need to get our hearts around and our heads around, the way we stay close to Christ every single day, which is the goal of this prayer, the way we stay close to Christ and to God every single day is by being continually captured and continually amazed and continually overjoyed in the that in the debt that is being continually paid for us through the blood of Jesus Christ. This is the key to Christianity. This is the key to staying vibrant in your walk with God. This is the key to walking closely with God, to knowing his heart, to living out his will, to stay fresh, to have your heart and your mind stay fresh in the gospel of Jesus Christ. You guys get this? This is really the secret. This is what Christianity is, right? To know the depth of your debt and then to know even deeper the greatness of your forgiveness in Jesus Christ. And it is that gospel, that grace, that is to drive all that we do to live for God's name, God's kingdom, and God's will. Do you guys understand this? This is huge. That's the, that's the biggest part. So when we pray this line, we're actually asking God to forgive us of all the ways that we've indebted ourselves to God morally since the last time we prayed it. Maybe it was this morning. Maybe it was yesterday. We're asking God, God, I want to stay vibrant with you. I want to stay close to you. I want you to forgive all of my sins so that I can know you and live for you. I want that in my life. So, but what's really interesting about this verse is the second part of the prayer. You know, we a lot of times we focus on the forgive us of our debts part. But we miss the whole, a lot of times we miss the whole second part. It says, forgive us of our debts as we also have forgiven the debts of others. Right? Did you ever, you ever, you ever, you ever, ever notice that? God, forgive us as we also have forgiven the debts of others. First, I want to point out two things to you. First, it's written in the past tense. Did you notice that? As we also have already forgiven those who have sinned against us. What is it saying? It's saying, God, the request is this, God, we want you to forgive us to the same extent that we've already forgiven other people. So if you haven't forgiven other people who have sinned against you, then what do you, for all practical reasons, what are you asking God to do? You're asking God not to forgive you. You're saying, God, forgive me as much as I've forgiven all of my brothers and sisters. And if you haven't forgiven any of them, then he doesn't have to forgive you. You're asking God not to forgive you. So it's really huge, isn't it? God is saying, I want you to be an instrument of forgiveness. 
I want you to be an agent of forgiveness and reconciliation. You actually need to have that and do that and live that out before you can come to me and ask me for forgiveness and so that we can. We can't relate and, and unite and hang out until you've reconciled with your brother and sister. Isn't that amazing? This is what this verse is saying. So if you want forgiveness from God, we have to actually forgive everybody in our lives first before we can ask for forgiveness and be close to God once again. This verse is actually telling us, if, you, if you're tuned in, that the one who does not forgive others actually cannot be a Christian. It's radical. It is. God expects all of his children to forgive others. Christians must forgive, right? So, you know, but I understand, and, you know, we're all human. Sometimes there are things that are done against us. Sometimes people sin against us in radical ways that hurt us so deeply that it's so hard to forgive like this. You know, we're not like Jesus immediately, and it's totally understandable. And so this is what I'll say to you. Um, you may not be able to forgive someone today, but if you are actively praying about it and actively working upon your heart and saying and begging God to give you the ability to forgive that person that's so hard to forgive, I think you're, you're, you're on a good path. But if you've already decided in, within your heart, no way, that guy ain't going to get no forgiveness from me. No way. Then I think you're, you're in big trouble, right? Because if, that means to me that either, to me that says to me that you either are not a Christian or you refuse to allow the grace of Jesus Christ and the forgiveness he showed you to actually affect and change your life. And that's just not my opinion. That's the opinion of many, many scholars and theologians. Let me share with you a few quotes that they have, okay? Um, Charles Spurgeon, the great preacher, said this. He says, unless you have forgiven others, you read your own death warrant when you pray this prayer. Well, that's harsh, right? But it's true. You can't be a Christian. You're, you might as well just go to hell. C.S. Lewis says, there is no teaching clearer. There are no exceptions to it. If we don't forgive other people's sins, we shall not be forgiven none of our own. Right? Old English, but we understand what he's saying. Thomas Watson, a great Puritan, he radically said this. He said, a man can as well go to hell for not forgiving as well as for not believing. That's radical, isn't it? That's how huge forgiveness is. You must forgive others in order to be forgiven yourself. Do you guys understand this? It's very basic, but it's pretty huge. It's pretty hard. It's pretty, it's pretty heavy. But the question you might have is this. Wait, I don't get it. Why would God do that? You know? Why, why does God say that I'm not going to forgive you unless you forgive your brothers and sisters? Is this some kind of, you know, quid pro quo kind of thing? You know, uh, quid pro quo. Like, uh, you scratch my back, I'll scratch yours, tit for tat, give and take, right? Is this, what, you know, unless you forgive them, I'm not going to forgive you. I'm going to withhold that. Is that what God's saying? Is that how God operates? And the, and the answer is what? Yes and no. Okay, it's yes and no. So I cheat. But it's yes because God's forgiveness upon us is absolutely conditional. That's black and white. It's absolutely conditional upon our forgiveness of others. Jesus actually makes that clear two verses later in verses 14 and 15. Matthew 6, 14 and 15. This is what he says. He says, For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. Great. But if you don't, then your Father won't. 
right? If you don't forgive others, what does it say? It says that your father will not forgive your sins. I don't know how much clearer Jesus can be. That's exactly what he's saying. So yes, it's conditional, but it's also no, because God doesn't work quid pro quo, right? He's not a tit for tat type of God. He's not whatsoever. The reason why God operates like this is because he knows that this is the only way that our hearts can be completely his. This is the only way that our hearts can stay fresh and be connected to him in a way that gives him honor, glory, and praise. Okay, this is the only way. And, and that, that's absolutely clear in a parable that Jesus tells a few chapters later in Matthew 18. We're going to actually read the whole thing because I want you to feel the thrust of this thing. Matthew 18, verses 23 to 35, makes it absolutely clear. Jesus says, Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. And as he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold was brought to him. Can you imagine being owed 10,000 bags of gold? Anyway, all right, let's move on. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children all that he had to be sold to repay the debt. At this, the servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. 10,000 bags of gold. But when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred silver coins. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, be patient with me and I will pay it back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown in prison until he could pay the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were outraged and went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said. I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Here we go, verse 33. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. Here we go, verse 35. This is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. Right? And that's the conclusion that Jesus says. What's the point? The point is that God wants us to want to forgive others just as we've been forgiven by Christ. It's that simple. God's saying, look, man, I sent my son to die for you for that clear-cut example to show you how much I love you, how much I value you, how much I want to forgive you, how much I want you to be mine. Knowing that forgiveness, I want you now to want to be like Jesus to everybody else in this world, right? He wants us to know how ugly and painful sin is, yes, but he also wants us to constantly be focused on how great and beautiful and wonderful the forgiveness of Christ really is and to operate in that grace towards others so that they can come to know Jesus through us. Do you guys get that? This is why God wants us to pray this prayer. That's a gospel-driven life, and that's a, that's a life that shows off the gospel of Jesus Christ. So it's not, you know, so God, so to be clear, God's not saying, hey, I'm not going to forgive you unless you forgive others, you know, like a tit-for-tat type of thing. God's not like that. He's not petty like that. But it's more like this. It's more like he's saying, hey, son, daughter, 
knowing the forgiveness that I gave to you and knowing the extent that I went through just to show you how much I love you, how much I value you, how much I want you to be forgiven, how I want to spend eternity with you. I want you to love your neighbors exactly like I love you. And you do that by modeling my grace to the people in your life, right? So that they can know me through you. What is he basically saying? He's just saying, look, I just want you to want to be like Jesus every day. I want you to want to be like my son. And this is what Jesus is calling us to through this verse. And if that's who you want to be, then that's absolutely awesome. But if it isn't, then you really have to question whether you're a true believer or not. Harsh, yes, but it's, that's exactly what it is, black and white, in these verses today. If our lives are ultimately about ourselves, then yes, we can hold on to our hatreds. Yes, we can hold on to our hearts, and we can actually hold people captive in their debts to us in God's eyes. Yes, if we're not God's. And then if we're not God's, then God's going to do that exactly the same to us. But if we truly are about the gospel and about Jesus Christ, if the cross truly has become central in all that we are, then we can only find our truest joy and we can only find our truest satisfaction living out the exact same redemptive life that Jesus did that led him to the cross to forgive other people's of their sins, all of his enemies of their sins against God. And hopefully if we are that person, then living that life out, no matter how hard it might be, and it's going to be hard, right? That's why Jesus says that you got to carry your cross so that you could pay the debts of others, so you could forgive others. That life's going to be hard, but hopefully in light of all Jesus is, that's all we'll want to be and do. See, you got to stay captured. You, know, you got to stay amazed. You got to stay continually overjoyed by the forgiveness that was shown for you. That's what a Christian is. That's who a Christian's all about. You guys get that? So we need to forgive others. That's how we stay Christ-like. That's how we practice the divinity of Christ within our life. That's how we make his name, his kingdom, his will Central, But we also learn that that's the only way to actually stay close to God, isn't it? If not, he'll withhold his presence, he'll withhold uh, his blessings, he'll withhold his forgiveness upon us if we don't forgive others. Forgiveness towards others is absolutely necessary for our growth and our intimacy with God. Isn't it interesting how even our own holiness... And our own intimacy with God, which we are so convinced are individual, personal things, are actually, you know, only achieved in light of loving our brothers and sisters. We can't actually be close to God unless we're loving our brothers and sisters. Isn't that amazing? But that's what it is. It's the first and second commandment totally together. Forgive us as we forgive one another. That's why... Your commitment to your local church is absolutely necessary for the health of your spiritual walk with God. You cannot be like a solo Christian. It just doesn't exist. It doesn't even make sense to God. You need to be a part of community in order to grow and get closer to God. It's absolutely essential. You cannot grow. There's no such thing as a lone ranger Christian. You know, there's no such thing as a solo Christian. You must be within community. 
right? You could, why? Because you need to be practicing regular forgiveness with each other in order to get closer to God, if you understand what this verse is saying. All of us could benefit from that here at FLM, right? We all could. That's why I want you to join CGs. Why? Because I need you, you need me, and even though you may not know the person sitting next to you, you need them in order for you to get closer to God. It, that's, that's just the gospel truth, right? That's why I want you to be involved with CGs and I want you to be involved with ministry. Why? Because only when we're involved with CGs and ministry do we make ourselves available to be hurt by somebody else. It is only when we join a CG and make ourselves vulnerable to others that people can hurt us and be indebted to us. Therefore, we can show forgiveness, live out the grace of Jesus Christ to others, be involved in reconciliation, and have the approval and the blessings of God upon us. Do you guys, you guys see that? It's the only way. If you're not forgiving other people regularly, man, we're in trouble. You have to be involved with community. Is this, is this a good push? Are you guys going to all sign up next year for CG? Right? You have to. you got to sign up for ministries and be like this. We need each other to grow. Already this year, I've had to ask a few people for forgiveness individually because I've hurt them by some of the things that I've said, the attitudes that I've had. Um, already this year, people have called me and emailed me and said, Eddie, I think I need to talk to you. And sometimes I get, I get very nervous when people are like that because you know it's either like they want to say a good thing, but it's usually never a good thing. So you know, I, sometimes I pray that, oh, I hope it's a personal thing that they're going through, but it isn't. A lot of times it's, I have an issue with you, Eddie Bang. You know, you're a jerk. You know, and it is, and I am. And so already, you know, I've had uncomfortable conversations and unpleasant conversations. But the thing is this, as uncomfortable, as unpleasant as those conversations are, I love them. Do you know why? Because when people call me to tell me that they have an issue with me, it, show, it tells me that they value me. It tells me that they want to get closer to me. And when I have a conversation with them, I'm literally declaring, I value you. I need this relationship. I want to be close to you. And I want us to reconcile. And I want us to love God together. This is the only way. I need you for me to grow. You need me for us to grow. Let's grow together mutually. Let's do it. We're part of the same spiritual family. That's what it means to be part of the same spiritual family, right? Hurt each other, but yet you reconcile and you grow stronger. That's exactly what church is all about. We need that from each other. And more importantly, that's a family that's taking the God-given steps to vibrantly walk closer with Jesus. You know, I want to close my sermon today with a story that I read about a wife who understood all of these principles very powerfully, okay? I read a story this week of a man who lived a very sinful life, but then he became a Christian. And by God's grace, he came to marry this amazing Christian woman. He decided to confide in her about the nature of his previous life before he became a Christian in a few words. But before he can even finish, this wife of his grabs his head, slowly moves his head close to her shoulder, kisses him, and rests his head on his shoulder. And this is what she says. She says, John, I want you to understand something very plainly. I know my Bible well, and therefore I know the subtlety of sin and the devices of sin working in the human heart. I know you are a thoroughly converted man, John. I know you are. But I know you still have an old nature and that you are not as fully instructed in the ways of God as you soon will be. 
The devil will do all that he can to wreck your Christian life. He will see to it that temptations of every kind will be put in your way. The day might come, please God that it never shall, the day might come when you succumb to temptation and fall into sin. Immediately the devil will tell you that it is no use trying, that you might as well continue on in the way of sin, and that above all you are not to tell me because it will hurt me. But John, I want you to know that here in my arms is your home. When I married you, I married your old nature as well as your new nature. And I want you to know that there is full pardon and forgiveness in advance for any evil that may ever come into your life. Isn't that beautiful? Isn't that powerful? I wish all spouses could be like that. I wish I could be like that to my, to my spouse. But that's the gospel, isn't it? That God just, that's how God feels about us. You know, he's already forgiven us. He knows that we're going to sin in the future. And so he's saying, don't ever be scared. Even if you fail, come, know that you'll be forgiven if you just ask, because I love you. And you can always be secure in that love and forgiveness. Just come, because I want to be close to you. If you knew that, if you were convinced of that, doesn't that make you not want to sin? Right? If your spouse was like that, wouldn't that make you not want to disappoint your spouse? And in the same way, if you understood all that God has accomplished through us, through his son Jesus, doesn't it make you not want to sin against God? But secondly, how amazing and how powerful and how attractive would the church be if Christians actually operated with full pardon and forgiveness in advance towards each other? Can you imagine encountering an organization where the people in it already forgave you for what you were going to do to me tomorrow and how are you going to hurt me tomorrow? If we operated like that, don't you think the world might notice? That's so powerful. But that's actually what we're called to, isn't it? So it's not just like, okay, I'm going to forgive if he asks me to forgive him. No. In our hearts, we need to be ready already to be hurt tomorrow. And then to offer forgiveness, full pardon and forgiveness in advance today. That is someone who's operating in the grace and the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, wouldn't you agree? Wow, how powerful would the church be if people found that within the church? We cannot be like Christ without practicing Christ to each other. Forgiveness is radical in and of itself, but continually extending full pardon and forgiveness in advance is what truly mirrors the gospel. Let's be forgivers of each other so that we can be forgiven and make God great in our lives, in this church, and in this world. Let's pray. I think the only way to live this out honestly and sincerely is when the focus of our hearts and our lives truly is to stay, is to have our hearts soft with the gospel. To know the depth of our sin before God. To know the depth of his forgiveness and love for us. This is what it means to be a Christian. This is what it means to be in love with Jesus. To know how much he truly loved us, that he sent his son Jesus to die for us and to forgive us. 
And it's not just a one-time deal when we put our faith in Jesus a few years ago, but it's a daily thing so that our hearts can continually remain soft, so that our hearts can continually remain fresh in him alone. Because it's that heart that's centered upon Christ and the gospel that will live out forgiveness towards our brothers and sisters. That's why God withholds forgiveness from us if we don't forgive others. It's our hearts that he wants. So if you need to come to Christ today, come and ask God to soften your heart with the gospel once again so that your true joy and satisfaction can be found in Christ. And as a result, ask him for the power to forgive. Maybe there's some people in your life that's just, it's just so hard to forgive. Ask him for the power and the strength and the wisdom and the perspective to love and forgive them just as you've been forgiven by Jesus. Let's pray. very simple. Christianity is very simple. It's about people who are in love with Jesus. That's it. Maybe a lot of you have gone to church for a while, years maybe. And even though you know all the answers, when you look inside your heart, you're not sure if you're in love. You know, can I just invite you to just be honest before God and say, God, I want to be in love with you. I actually may not really understand what it means to have you as everything and to live for you as everything and to love you more than anything. I know we heard that 10 million times at church, but I've never experienced that, nor do I really know it in my heart. But you want to know something? That's what Christianity is. And so can I just ask you to spend just another minute or two, if that's who you are, saying, God, from this day forward, I actually want to be a Christian. I just want my heart to be alive in grace. I want my heart to be alive and in love with Jesus. And I want to learn how to live like that every single day until I die. If that's you, can you pray that? Let's just spend a minute or two praying that together.
thank you so much for your word. It's so easy for us to hear how our lives are supposed to be centered on you and how our lives are supposed to be about you alone. But Lord, we need your help to actually be that person. So Father, I ask that you continue to reveal yourself to us. Show us your grace, God, so that we might really have a heart, truly, sincerely have a heart that loves you more than anything else. Overwhelm us with your forgiveness and grace, God. Help us to understand the gospel so much more clearly and deeply so that our hearts can stay freshly in love with you always. So that we would always operate every single day with our first love for you. And Father, so that the worthiness of Christ would always be you know, our lighthouse in the darkness. so that we can live out this love, so that we can live out this grace, so that we can live out this radical forgiveness to others and show off how awesome and beautiful you really are. So teach us how to do that once again so that we might live to make you great once again. In Jesus' name we pray.